Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Glory to God. Good to see you. Amen. Tonight we have uh, been having a fantastic conference. What a privilege just to be in America, just to be home. I love Barbados. They know they're watching. What's going on, man? <laughs> it's good to be here. It's good to be home. Uh, what an honor and privilege it is really to be invited just to come, but even to preach. What a privilege. I'm totally, totally honored. Uh, by the way, my name is Tori Williams better known as the guy who made you wonder if you got the right brochure. <laughs> so appreciate Pastor Greg, his ministry, amen, the invitation, the staff. Also, of course, Tom Payne, I know normally is here, and so if you're watching Pastor Payne, uh, we look forward to when you can get back and man your spot, amen. So if you have your Bibles tonight, Luke chapter 15, and tonight I'd imagine that most of you are familiar with the term Amber Alert. Particularly if you live here in the United States, Amber Alert is an alert system which was designed to quickly galvanize a community to help search uh, for people or children who were reported missing or lost and who were believed to be in a very critically dangerous Circumstance. AMBER is an acronym which stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. But more than an acronym, the name AMBER points to a real person, a young girl by the name of AMBER Hagerman, who on January 9, 1996 in Arlington, Texas, was a nine-year-old little girl riding her brand-new pink bicycle she had just gotten the previous Christmas. And all of a sudden, a black pickup truck pulled up into the abandoned Winn-Dixie parking lot that she was riding in. Out jumped a middle-aged man who yanked Amber off of her bike, tossed her into his pickup truck, and drove off. Folks, that middle-aged man is a picture for you and I of the demonic. And as we sit here this evening, and those of you at home, as you view this conference on live stream, I want you to listen tonight with the understanding that God is sending out his amber alert. Because the reality is there are many multitudes of men and women, boys and girls right now, who are spiritually lost. And God has enlisted us. No, God has entrusted us with the mission to go and find them. I want to preach a message I've entitled God's Amber Alert. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one, which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his own shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. God, we come tonight by the blood. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your presence. I ask you, God. You go before me, go where I cannot go tonight, into the hearts of men and women. God, you go by your spirit. Help us, stir us for nations, cities, and people, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Let's consider firstly with you the loss. Our text tonight points us to one of the truths of mankind, and that is as far back as you want to go, you will always find there will always be a temptation to separate or to divide, whether that is along the lines of nationality or economics, status, political affiliation, whether that is Jew or Gentile, or I am of Apollos, I am of Paul. The bottom line is in life somewhere this issue will arise. This is what is going on in our text. In our text, there's a crowd of people surrounding Jesus, and Luke specifically mentions that this crowd is made up of two groups, one group the sinners and the tax collectors. A sinner, of course, being a Jew who did not follow the law. A tax collector was, uh, you know, well, a tax collector. A sinner of the worst kind. Now, our text tells us one thing about each of these groups. Verse 1 says that these sinners and tax collectors are drawing near to Jesus. And verse 2 says that the other group, these scribes and Pharisees, are complaining. Now, when I saw that, I said, why didn't it just say one group was drawing near to Jesus and another group was pulling away from him? No, it said one was drawing near and the other was complaining. You know, one of the sure signs you are pulling away from Jesus is when you find yourself complaining a lot, particularly when you're right in the midst of what Jesus is doing. This crowd is in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is communicating profound truths, and yet the Bible says there's complaining going on. Why were they complaining? See, the scribes were men who were diligently students of the law, or diligent students of the law of God. They interpreted the law for the people. In fact, many of the scribes were also lawyers because they knew the law so well. And as they're looking at these sinners, all they can see is how many laws these unclean heathens are breaking. God guard us from the danger we all face where we could get to the place where we're more concerned with getting every single doctrine right than we are with simply getting the gospel out. Of course we should strive for both. I understand the necessity of correct doctrine I ascribe to it, but I also know that a new convert can witness to somebody with very little understanding and that person can get gloriously saved. In our text, they are complaining about the mere presence of these sinners and tax collectors. Because if you know in that day, uh, it was the idea of ceremonially unclean. And so if you wanted to stay holy, you avoided anything or anybody deemed unholy. And the unholiness of these sinners and tax collectors was considered highly contagious. So this religious elite treated them like they had the coronavirus. They stayed away from them. They quarantined themselves. And so now here are these scribes and Pharisees, and they're looking at Jesus, talking to these social misfits, and not just talking, but our text emphasizes that he's eating with them. Now, you and I can't fully appreciate the gravity of what's happening, but this would have absolutely shocked them to the core. This is Garth Brooks showing up in boots to their black tie affair. See, in their minds... How can this man be a rabbi? He's definitely not sent from God because if he were, he would know that God hates sinners. Well, I'm not speaking hyperbolically here tonight. That's actually what they thought. That was their theology in a nutshell, that God hates sinners. You know, I pray that I never present the gospel in such a way that a sinner walks away thinking, my goodness, God hates me. To the Pharisees in our text, Jesus was a heretic who was stirring up the crowds and teaching a very false view of God and eating with sinners was all the proof that they needed. So in an effort to get these scribes and Pharisees to understand his mission here on earth, Jesus did something that we often see him do in scripture. He tells a parable. He pulls a Nathan to David on them with the hope that as he's telling this story, they'll be able to locate themselves. And Luke, as he's writing this in our text, he wants it to be known that all of chapter 15 is one parable. Verse 3, so he spoke this parable to them. He actually tells three stories, but 
As you combine the three, you see one message. And this is how Jesus starts it off. Verse 4, he says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one? Or what woman having ten coins, if she loses one? Now notice, the men get the animals, the women get the money. That's just a side note. Then, of course, he tells the story of the lost son. So notice now, when Jesus begins to address the complaining of these Pharisees and these uh, these scribes, the Bible says he automatically shifts the language from sinners and tax collectors, and he refers to them as lost. Make no mistake, that is a very critical and intentional distinction. In other words, Jesus isn't just speaking semantics. He is choosing his words very carefully. And the word he chose to use was lost. What he's doing is he's got to get their minds off the natural because all they can see is sinners. They don't do this. They break this law. He says, no, 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 you're missing it. Yes, they're committing adultery. No, they're not dressing modestly. Of course, they prefer beer over coffee. They're lost. And again, because Jesus knows our proclivity to separate and divide, he wants to know, look, I divide people too, but I don't divide like you divide. I don't separate based off political party or economic status. For me, he said, there's only two groups, the lost and the found. And these people are lost. You know, I am so glad that I don't have to stand up here on World Evangelism Night and try to figure out what to preach about. Because how many know, as long as people are lost, our mission is never going to change. As long as you and I are breathing, when we are here, we, have, we are here for essentially one reason, to seek and to save the lost, to bring the lost to Jesus. There was a survey done with people who had a relationship with Jesus and how they came to know him. They said 8% came through revivals, 4% through church programs, 2% through Sunday school, 5% is walk-ins, 2 came to Christ because of a pastor they saw on TV, aka live stream. But here's the thing, 78% came by way of personal witness. You know, it's important to note That in our text, the shepherd is not welcoming the lost. He is seeking them. Listen, church, the kingdom of God is is not a welcoming committee. It is a rescue mission. That means that the word missionary does not just mean crossing international borders. It means to have a message or a mission. Listen, to be perfectly clear tonight, Pastor Greg is going to stand up here and announce these couples. They are going into enemy territory, and they only have one goal and one goal only, to bring back or take back what the enemy has stolen. God's sending out his amber alert tonight. I asked Pastor Greg, how many nations would you say still don't have a fellowship church? He said, I think around 132. Would one of them have your name on it tonight? Young man, older man, would one have your name? It could. I mean, only in our fellowship could we say that. It could. You know, whether it's an EMT worker, a fireman, military, special ops, you name it, inherent in any rescue is the issue of urgency. Who has ever lost something of value? Of course you have. When you do, I mean, that's all you can think about. It consumes your mind. It's like you can't do anything. Uh, you can't just go forward. It, you might go on with life, but you're thinking about that thing. In verse 8 of our text, the Bible says that this woman loses this coin, uh, and you know the story. She sweeps the house. Uh, she turns on the light, which is an indication it's night, uh, and the thought is she can't sleep. She can't just go to sleep until she figures out or finds what she lost. There is nothing in all of life that brings urgency to the forefront quite like something that is lost. You don't believe me? Lose your phone. (laughs) And watch how you respond. You don't even have to lose it. Just leave it at home. You know where it's at. Uh, Turn the car around. What's going on? What's going on? I got to go get my phone. 
I asked the gentleman in the foyer, lost and found, said, have there been any phones in here? Because there's clothes and ties and books. And any phone? He said, yeah, one, but they recovered it real quick. <laughs> Church, the problem, though, if we're not careful, we can be more concerned about a lost phone than we are a lost soul. Is there still an urgency when it comes to people that are lost? We were having dinner with a couple the other night, and their little daughter spoke up and said, Mom and Dad, remember that time you lost us? <laughs> you got to love kids, man. And they're like, oh. She's like, no, you know, you know how kids, no, tell us. So they told us the story. They went somewhere. They switched cars. You know how it is. I've been there. I've done the same thing. You, you forget, you know, you got a lot of kids. You're like, uh, uh, I guess the gang's all here. Nobody's screaming. So you get to, they got to the place, and they realized, so called the name, whoa, we're missing somebody. And they told, they said, we booked it. We got back on that freeway, and they said, we did a 20-minute, what is normally a 20-minute drive. We did it in seven minutes. Who cares about speed limits? Who cares about breaking the law when something of extreme value is lost? This girl, Amber Hagerman, sadly, four days after her disappearance, they found her body. Think about this for a moment, though. From the moment she was lost, little did they know that in less than 96 hours, she would be dead. The urgency. The shepherd in our text has a keen awareness that he is working against the clock. Church, hear me tonight. The Democrat, I mean, the demonic <laughs> is on the loose. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Okay. <laughs> we cannot afford to wait until all the conditions are favorable. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, he who regards the wind will never sow. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, nothing could be more ruthless than to make men think there is still plenty of time. These Amber Alerts, when a new a child goes missing, they will, you know, of course, do the loud buzzing on your phone or they'll put the signs up on the streets, the digital signs, uh, and they'll say, you know, a child abduction, blue Honda Civic, et cetera, et cetera. You know why, why they do that? It's because they want you to stop whatever it is you're doing, and shift your focus to what is lost. Why? Because what's lost must be the priority. Back in 2012, 2013, we're pastoring in Spring Lake, North Carolina. Had this young man in our church. His name was Aaron. And Aaron, his sister was in our church, his brother-in-law, Pablo. And I was, one day he shared with me how, you know, he came into the church and what happened is Pablo, who was in our church, they were brothers-in-law. He said they didn't talk very much. They, their relationship wasn't that close. But all of a sudden, he said, God is dealing with him. You need to call Aaron. You need to call. He said, I couldn't shake him. So I pick up the phone and call him. Little did he know, true story, as he calls Aaron, Aaron is actually penning or writing his suicide letter. He's writing it to his family, and they're going to find it in the morning. And as he's writing it, though, he's saying, God, if you don't want me to do this, give me a sign. The phone rings. It's, it's uh, Pablo on there. And he's like, Pablo, we never talked. He answers the phone. He says, listen, man, I don't know what this. God laid you on my heart. And, and he begins to witness to him. And Aaron explains that he just starts sobbing right there. In fact, he kept writing the letter when he hung up, but it had a totally different ending. He actually gave me a copy of the letter. I used to, it's somewhere in storage. I used to keep it with me, go around and, and, and preach that story. But listen, such a powerful, the urgency. What if Pablo would have just ignored the prompting of the Holy Ghost? What is this? I'm tired. I'll, I'll call him tomorrow. In our text, Jesus is describing the Father's heart for the lost. He says that the lost are so valuable to God that even if it's just one lost soul out of a hundred, he said that one is still worth leaving the 99. Listen to me, Jesus is into the 1%. See, I know many of us, if we'd be honest, not so much. One's insignificant. We're impressed with the crowds. That's why we come to conference and we ask questions like, hey man, how's your church doing? 
which really means how many people you're running. Oh, okay. Not you. All right, all right, that's fine. You know, the longer we're involved in this great commission, the more in danger we become of falling in love with the idea of evangelism rather than the individual of world evangelism. You know, one of the most powerful things to to come out of our time there in Barbados is that on different occasions, different times, a person uh, in our church, I I mentioned to the church, this one girl, Gina, she was the first in our church, been very faithful, God's moving in her life. But one day, after all that God doing, she said, she's telling my wife, she said, you know, I wonder if God didn't bring you guys all the way over. In fact, she just apologized. She said, I'm sorry, because I believe God brought you guys all the way over here, pulled your kids out of school, stopped your life, transformed simply for me. And my wife said, you know, if that was the case, I would do it all over again, even if it was just for you. Another guy in my church, he said, Tori, I want to thank you personally for your guidance you've provided in respect to my relationship with God, this guy Ian. He says, if I can be selfish, I will tell you that I prayed for God, prayed to God for someone to come here and guide me in my relationship with God. It is overwhelming to comprehend that God answered the prayers of a big sinner like me. Church, I'm not telling you this so you think anything special of my wife and I. I'm telling you this in an attempt to communicate the heart of God. If we're not careful, we look at the kingdom of God like it's a business. 99, one, ah, I'll take the 99. Kingdom business requires spiritual arithmetic. You know, to every pastor, disciple, every leader, can I just humbly make a statement to you? You want numbers? You want your church to grow? When you value the one, God will give you the crowds. This is a kingdom principle. Luke 16, 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. In other words, God says, I'm watching how you treat the one to determine if I can send a multitude. It's interesting to me. In our text, Jesus did not seek the crowd. He sought the individuals And the Bible says that the crowds came drawing near to him. Let's look at leaving the 99. In our text, verse 4 says these words, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, does not leave the 99 and go after the one? There's two very critical words. They're in this text. They sound similar, but they're not exactly the same thing. The words leave and go. We heard some of this from Pastor Webb. But when I read this, I said, here lies the great difficulty concerning world evangelism. Listen, folks, the truth is tonight, if reaching the lost was simply about going, most people would have already gone or would quickly sign up to go. Very difficult to be in our fellowship and not have a desire to go. I mean, when you come to the conferences and you're here preaching like we've heard uh, and you listen to the reports of those who've gone, uh, you're going to see the world evangelism video, which is how I was actually called into the ministry. And so you come to these conferences, no doubt every fiber in your being will be screaming out like Isaiah when the voice of the Lord came to him saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, my Lord send me I'll go if we'd be honest we love the idea of going it's actually very easy to get emotionally stirred to go but you know what the real challenge is leaving oh here I am send me I'll go (laughs) but the moment you start thinking about it what it actually means to go after the one all of a sudden now the reality of leaving begins to kick in, leaving your city, leaving your family, leaving your retirement, leaving your dreams, leaving your career, leaving your established church, leaving your children's school, leaving your grandchildren, leaving your position, leaving, having to say goodbye to some people and some things. Remember Jesus 
He's talking to the disciples about the cost of leaving. He's just, they just had this encounter with the rich young ruler who forsook Jesus because he didn't want to leave his money. And listen, as Peter is watching, he's listening to his response. Mark 10, 28, Peter says, these are, we have left everything to follow you. Now, Peter's saying this to Jesus. Can you imagine talking to somebody who's left heaven and trying to explain to them how you've left everything? Jesus is like, come on, Peter. Seriously, let's not go there, bro. Seriously, seriously, seriously. I don't even want I remember talking to Pastor Campbell the first time we were discussing being sent out. We had just bought a house and, you know, and, and then the, 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 you know, the market dropped and, and everything went down so we couldn't just sell it or do anything. And I'm talking to Pastor, you know, I'm waiting for, I think he's going to have some compassion, you know, and, and some compassion. And, and I'm like, I'm like, Pastor, um, so we, what are we going to do about our house? It's just a house. <laughs> I walked out of there like, you know, my wife's like, so what did he say? He said, it's just a house. <laughs> See, it's when we have to contemplate leaving that rationalizing the one sheep becomes so tempting. You know, it is only one. And actually, one of the 99 is pregnant, so, you know, it's, it's going to work out. It's, 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 it's. Or we have more legitimate arguments. My church needs me. I hear that one. My disciples won't survive if I leave. What if I leave my church to become a missionary and I come back and there's no churches available? See, we all have all types of justifications for staying in the place that we are. There's people here you've been praying God, I need you to speak to me. God, I need a clear word from heaven. Here it is. You ready for it? Leave. Leave. The found sheep must be left before the lost sheep can be found. What is up, Sermon Podcast listeners? This is Pastor Adam from the Virginia Beach Potter's House. Wanted to say thank you again for listening to this podcast. We hope that you have been enjoying the new daily podcast format. We have been doing our best to post a daily podcast sermon, uh, either from our church or from around the fellowship. We want to ask a couple of favors of you, if you don't mind. First of all, if you are listening to this, make sure that you are subscribed. There's a lot of people who are listening to these and navigating to them uh, every single day, Uh, but it would be better for you and a whole lot better for us if you make sure that you are subscribed so that you get daily sermons delivered directly to your phone or your computer. Uh, The next thing I want to ask you to do is make sure that you leave us a review. We want to ask you, if you're enjoying the daily podcast, fellowship sermons from around the world, please, please go and uh, give us a rating, give us five stars. Uh, And if you enjoy this, we want to ask you to please share this. No doubt there's people in your church that would enjoy listening to a daily sermon from around the fellowship. The third big thing I want to ask you to do is I want to talk to the sound booth guy in your church. And I believe that there are some treasure trove sermons out there. We've built a platform that uh, I believe we could use for the kingdom. And no doubt that there are some of you, you know somebody who knows somebody who's got about 10,000 sermons in the sound booth that they've been sitting on. Or, or maybe you've got a sermon that you think uh, would be great to share on this sermon podcast. We want to hear from you. We want to we want to get our hands on those uh, on those sermons so that we can publish them and we can get them out to the rest of our fellowship. So those are my big three requests. Uh, we want to say thank you again for listening. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Thanks a lot, guys. You know, the truth is tonight, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Much of my message really has nothing to do with those who have gone before us. That's why we're here. I'm actually addressing my generation. I am addressing the responsibility that we have 
of making sure that going and leaving doesn't just become a story we tell about our spiritual forefathers. Oh yeah, I remember when Pastor Mitchell, you know, at 80 years old, went to Australia. You know, that's great, but today, I hear 30-year-old pastors in our fellowship saying things like, man, I'm never leaving my church. This is my security. I'm definitely not going overseas. I have to come back and start all over. You better stay in that church. You know, all my peers here, leaving the 99 and going after one, the one, that is the very heartbeat and the spirit of our fellowship. Our fellowship was built on this revelation and God forbid we should ever retreat from the vision that we've been entrusted with. There is a cost to going and it's called leaving. There's also a very practical cost to world evangelism and it's called money. Our text says that when the shepherd found the sheep, he lays it on his own shoulders and brings it home. In other words, it's not just about finding lost sheep. I mean, we're not just playing a game of high go see. Oh, there you are. I thought I'd never find you. It's not what we're doing tonight. We're not just putting pins on a map or announcing people so we can hang another flag in the sanctuary. This picture of the shepherd is a picture of him shouldering the load. It is a picture of faithful saints who are in every one of our churches that help shoulder the load. It is also saying, listen, we're committed to this. Once found, the shepherd's now got to carry the weight of this sheep to bring him back to the fold. Listen, church, reaching the loss is extremely costly. It'll cost you your time, your labor, your... I have such an appreciation for the cost. Being a missionary in Barbados where gasoline is six to seven dollars a gallon. Can you say (laughs) Wawa? Thanks, Pablo, I needed that. Everything's important, so groceries are double or triple, if, you're, if it's double, you're happy. Cost of milk, eight to $10 a gallon. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's unending. The cost, of, our car is broken down. My wife's been in the hospital, having surgery, been all kind of things. And I'm thinking, the cost is enormous. Let's close and talk about the rejoicing. You know, something very interesting about these three stories is in the first two stories, Jesus is addressing the scribes and the Pharisees. What man of you? What woman of you? But in the third story, he does something different. He actually places the scribes and the Pharisees in the story as the elder brother. You know, I hear people say things like, it's all we care about is evangelism. Does every sermon have to be go ye and outreach and so winning? No. But you know, truthfully, Why that's so easy for us to sit around and pontificate about is because we're part of the 99. And whether you realize it or not, it is not so easy to consider the loss when you yourself are not lost. That's why scripture has to constantly remind us, and such were some of you. That's why Jesus had to tell the third story in our parable, commonly referred to as the prodigal son. And it's my contention that he's not so much concentrating on the prodigal as he is the attitude of the elder brother. Why do you say that? Because again, you go back to the original context, verse 1 through 4 of our text. He's talking to these scribes and Pharisees who are angry because he's hanging out with sinners. The whole point he's trying to make was that the attention he's putting on winning the lost and hanging out with sinners and and tax collectors that nobody else cares about. What he's saying is there's people who think, you know what? That attention could be put somewhere else. And so he ends with the elder brother. You know the story. There's this incredible party scene. In fact, in all three of these stories, there's this party. Uh, uh, the, 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 the shepherd comes back. He comes back. He wants to call his friends. He's rejoicing. The woman, she calls all her friends and neighbors. They're rejoicing. The father, of course, we know. Uh, he, the servants come in. And everybody is rejoicing. Except for one person. The elder brother. Which, again, Jesus is trying to highlight so that these scribes and Pharisees can see themselves. 
Church, I declare to you this. A religious spirit will always turn you inward. And the quickest path to becoming religious is to stop evangelizing. Evangelism, discipleship, church planning. It all starts with evangelism. So what does that mean? That means we're never going to graduate from go ye and evangelism. Because the bottom line is when you lose something of value, you focus on what is lost, even to the neglect of what is unlost. A few more thoughts and we're going to pray. As I mentioned in each of the three stories in our parable, when that which was lost is found, they throw these parties and uh, it's a very dramatic jubilation. And listen to these words, verse 6. And when the shepherd comes, he calls together his friends. You know what's powerful to me is the shepherd, first of all, verse 5 says, when he finds it, he rejoices. But then the Bible says, he brings it home and he calls his friends and he says, listen, come and rejoice with me. When I saw that at first, I'll be honest with you, I said, what's that all about? I mean, he's the one who went and found the lost sheep. Why is he calling everybody to come and rejoice with him? When I said that, when I saw that, I said, you know what, that's a picture of our fellowship. That's what conference is all about. You know, this is a party. That is why when people get up and tell their reports of what they're doing, they're celebrating. They're saying, listen, we went out and we found what was lost. But not only that, what they're saying is, I can't just celebrate this on my own because I realize I didn't do it on my own. Oh, maybe so-and-so, maybe they didn't go. But that doesn't mean they weren't invested. There's people who pray. There's people who give. There's people who go on impact teams. There's people when building offerings and all and, and, and vehicles and all they come, they rise to the occasion. They're praying for converts in your church. They're taking people out to dinner when they come in town. They're holding down their ministry. They're not quitting uh, when others have walked away. They're holding down the fort. As Pastor Greg mentioned in the, uh, in the pastor's leadership, he said there are volunteers here uh, who are holding down the fort. And what they're saying is, listen, I haven't left. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving the 99 too. I'm just not going, but I'm making sacrifices that are real. When people give in tonight's offering, people give thousand, five, ten thousand. Listen, that's a that's leaving the ninety-nine to go after the one. And in our text, that is what is happening here. A couple of paragraph, a couple of illustrations, and we're going to pray. I read about these trapeze artists, this pastor, he was into these trapeze artists. His name is Henry Nguyen. And Henry Nguyen got invited to go uh, to a circus, and he was just mesmerized with these uh, trapeze artists. He's seen people do flips and, he, and being caught. He's so amazed by this that he went the next night and the next night. And finally, as it were, he got to meet uh, these trapeze artists. They're called the Rodleys. They're in Germany. And he got to meet them. He got to go backstage and talk to them. And uh, he shares some of his ex- excerpt from what the leader of the Rodleys said. Listen to this, because this caught me. You can put the picture up. I want you to focus on this imagery as I say this. He said, one day I was sitting with Raleigh, the leader of the troop, in his caravan talking about flying. He said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. How does it work, I asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I, simply, uh, I have to simply stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely up. You do nothing? I said, surprised. Nothing, Rodley re- repeated. The worst thing the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I am not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrists, I might break them or he might break mine, and that would be the end of both of us. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. When I saw that, I said, what a picture of our fellowship. So many people are 
mesmerized with the people that go, and rightly so, all the flips, and, but what they really don't see, somebody's catching them. Somebody is catching them. Listen, church, God is not just looking for goers. He is also looking for catchers. Would you be a catcher? When we pull this offering, when they pull this tonight, what they're asking is who's going to catch these people? He says, if, 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 if I don't get caught, it's all over for both of us. One last story. Yesterday marked the unfortunate 25-year anniversary of the day Amber Hagerman's body was found. She had been brutally murdered. And although I mentioned to you how the Amber Alert system got its name, there's another part I haven't told you. It has to do with a woman by the name of Diana Simone. Diana Simone, on an otherwise normal January evening, she's watching her news. And she sees this home video of this little girl riding a pink bike. And Diana Simone is sitting there. She's thinking, what is this? this, What what happened here? How did this girl, you know, this little girl, what did she do to be, be famous and be on the news? So she was locked in and she kept watching the story. And then she realized what I told you tonight, that this was Amber Hagerman. She's watching this, Diana Simone is. And all of a sudden... She feels compelled. She's wishing she could do something. She's frustrated, she says, because he's sitting there thinking, this little girl is lost. I I want to do something. So uh, what she did, she picked up the phone, and she called her radio station. She said, listen, listen, I know we have civil uh, uh, alerts, civil defense alerts. We have weather alerts. And she said, why not have alerts uh, for critically missing children? Long story short, in the wake of Amber's death, Simone's idea eventually took off and became known as today is what is called the Amber Alert. Now, Simone describes herself as just an ordinary woman who simply was made aware that someone was lost. And something, by the way, this is not her daughter. This is a complete stranger. And yet in her, she said, there's something, there has to be something I can do. They asked her why she thought it would even work. Listen to what she says. She says, I guess I just believe in the goodness of people to respond. Just a few months ago, Amber Alert celebrated its 1,000th rescued person. Simone was quoted as saying, she said, every time another person is rescued through Amber Alert system, she says, I'm rejoicing because I know I had a part to play. It's going costly? Absolutely. It's a privilege, but it's costly. But you know what? When you find the one, when you find the one that is lost, there is no price that can repay. I know I could stand up every missionary tonight, and they could tell you people, they can say, you know, if it was a, even if it was just for that person alone, it was all worth it, and I would do it again. Psalm 126, 6, and we're going to pray. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. God's amber alert. Would you bow your heads with me? Hallelujah. God, we thank you tonight for the blood of Jesus. We are grateful to be here. God, I am asking you to touch people tonight, to stir the very hearts of men and women, Maybe you're here tonight. You're not right with God. You were brought here by somebody. Somebody invited you. Somebody told you about a conference. You didn't even really necessarily know all that it was about, but you came, you're here, and tonight God wants to rescue you. He's sending out an amber alert. And you're here, you say, you know what, Pastor Williams, I am not saved. I'm not right with God. Listen, I didn't name all kind of sins, drunkenness, alcohol, uh, jealousy, bitterness, uh, sexual sin, immorality, all t- But you're here tonight, and you know, you know, when I walked into church 17 years ago, I don't know, I hadn't been in church in over 12 years, but one thing I knew, there's no way I'm right with God. I know I'm not right with God. Maybe that's you here tonight. You say, you know what, I, I, I need to get my heart right with Jesus. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm asking you a question. Is your heart right 
with the living God. You're here tonight, heads are bowed all over this place, eyes are closed. If that's you tonight, you allow me to pray for you. Say, I need my sins forgiven. You lift up your hand all over this place. Just lift it up high where I can see it. I see that hand. I see that. How many? Just put it right up. I see this hand to my left. How many more? Help me. I can't really hold it up high. I see that hand over there to the right. The hand in the back. How many more? Quickly. You just say, that's me. I need God tonight. I need prayer tonight. I need forgiveness of my, I need a new start. Listen, it's January. And you be honest, there's some people already broken resolutions. But you know what? You can get your heart right with Jesus tonight and your life can totally be changed. How many more? You slip up your hand. You say, that's me. That's me. I see that. Pray for me. Pray for me. Maybe you're a backslider. Listen, can I tell you, God really does love you. That's not cliche. He loves you. And you know, you know that you know, out of all the excuses we make, you know, man, it was better in the house of God. And you're here tonight, you say, I need to come back to Jesus. Backslider, you lift up your hand. You know better, but you're not living better. Here's my hand, here's my hand. All over this place, just put it right up. Last call, last call. God's dealing with you. You slip up your hand, you say, pray for me, pray for me. Very well then, there's a few of you, raise your hand. If you raise your hand, will you lift it up one more time and hold it? Will you lift it up high and just hold it? You have your hand raised. Will you lift your eye and look at me? Will you lift your eye and look at me? You sincere with God over to my left? You sincere with God? I believe you are. Why don't you slide out of your seat? We're going to pray with you. Those in the back, if I didn't see you, you will you stand to your feet and just come? Just come. Ushers, if you can help, if you saw someone, just come. Church, it's Thursday night. Thank God I was telling Pastor Greg up here, listen, so grateful for our fellowship and what we do. Let's all stand to our feet, going to open the altar. I want to encourage you to come and find a place to kneel and pray. Maybe God will put somebody on your heart. Maybe God will put a city, nation. Maybe God is speaking to you and saying, hey, leave, leave. Oh God, I need a word. It's time to go. Maybe you've been contemplating back and forth, up and down. And I don't know, I don't know. Many times we do know, we do know. But the cost, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to have to say goodbye to some things that are dear to me. Oh, she caught out of my son die. God, we love your name. Oh, let's talk to God. Let's just talk to God, church. Oh, God, your heart, his heart for the lost. His heart, willing to leave everything for one, for one. Oh, thank you, Lord, the blood of Jesus. Oh, God, I pray, stir the very hearts of men. Oh, God, I pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We lift up your name. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, God, I pray. Oh, God, we are desperate, God. We're praying, God. The nations cry out, God. Whom? will go who can I send said the Lord oh raise up couples workers laborers God for the harvest oh the harvest be plentiful but the labors but the labors Lord oh glory to God let's all stand to our feet let's just give God praise tonight Oh, Rama, Mama, son. Oh, Re, Bebe, Be, She, Karada, Rama. Oh, glory to your name, oh God. She, Ke, Re, Bebe, Be, Re, Be. She, Arada, Rama, Ma. God, we love your name. Oh, Re, Bebe, Be. She got Rama Mama, Sharada Robosi, Yere Bebe Rebe. Oh God, you are wonderful, God. You are good, oh God, tonight. Oh, we live.
lift up your name, oh God. Oh, Ramashi, Ramasanda, Ramasanda. Oh, Let's give him praise, church. Just want to do just a quick, if you could bow your heads, I want to just do a call for the nations, a call for the nations. As I said, I was Thursday night. Bible conference, God called me to be a missionary. Years and years later, here we are, but I knew that God wanted me to go overseas. I saw a world evangelism video. It's never the same. So I want to pray with you. You're here tonight, and, you, and you, you would make yourself available, that you say, God, not only am I going to be available, I'm going to own in some things, some things you already know. God's been speaking, dealing. So I'm going to own, I'm going to take them, own them in this year. They're going to be a different year. 2021 is going to be a year that I'm going to bring some things in and prepare my life. Whatever that means, I've got to downsize. I've got to, I've got to make some real hard decisions, change jobs, be ready to walk away from a job, et cetera, et cetera. But you're saying, I'm going to do that, especially if you're here, husband, you're here with your wife, or you're a single man, whatever the case may be, single woman. I want to encourage you right now, if that's you, just lift up your hand and say, the nations, specifically, the nations, hands are going up all over this place. I want you to repeat after me, dear God. I come to you tonight by your grace and by your mercy. God, I am asking you to help me to discipline my life, to harness my flesh, to prepare my life. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.